Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast, part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. I'm Tara Bowen Biggs. This is Dan Morang, and we're here to talk about what's happening with the Portland Trailblazers and around the NBA. Dan, how you doing tonight? Not too bad. I mean, basketball season is finally up upon us. We've, we've got some games under our belt. I'm, I'm kind of sitting here like, uh, you know, post Thanksgiving meal with my, my basketball belly out. Not not quite fully extended, but the belt has been been loosened. A notch has been taken out. You still have room for like maybe one more basketball sandwich I, later. I'm, I'm taking it in right now. I'm actually watching uh, Pelicans Lakers as we, as we record this. And it's just as ugly as you'd imagine it. So I'm just trying to get a little bit of work on the Pelicans before they come to town for Portland. Uh, let's see if uh, this current iteration of the Pelicans is going to look as bad on the floor as I thought they were going to. So, yeah. yeah oh, this, this, I can't wait to see that next. I can't wait to see that. It's going to be uh, it's going to be an adventure to say the least. But, yeah, it's uh we're definitely past the point of, of any cranberry sauce right now. <laughs> well, let's dive in because we've got uh, some games to talk about. The Blazers have played three games now in the 2017-18 season. They started off in Phoenix. We were both at Spirit of 77 for a Blazer party. There was a big crowd there. Yeah, we were packed in there. I mean, it was, it was nearly shoulder to shoulder for another great turnout for uh, for Blazers Edge Night, uh, for Blazers Edge Radio, and, and Peter Sampson and the crew, so that was that was pretty awesome to see you get out there and talk to some folks and and, and a pretty uh, nice game for everybody to get to watch, huh? Yeah, I mean, it started out with like not looking good with Portland getting down what seven nine right out of the gate. It was like you got to be kidding me with this. They're they're not gonna do this, are they? Uh, we had talked about it on the previous podcast, like they're gonna screw one of these games up in Phoenix, and, and within the first couple that we play, I just didn't think it was gonna be, you know, right out of the gate. And then they they settled in quite quickly and and had the most ridiculous blood on an opening night in NBA history. I mean, yeah. I, I marked remarked about it on Twitter, and you know, it got to a point where it was such a celebratory fashion that people were just kind of laughing and giggling as the Blazers rained down threes and the, and the Suns hopelessly ran into the defenders like the entire time. Like it was one of the more joyous opening nights in recent memory. Yeah. So the, the Blazers ended up one running away with that 124 to 76 without CJ, no CJ in there. He That's was sequestered thing. in his hotel room, not allowed to enter the arena. I always loved that part about it. Sequestered. Otherwise, <laughs> Otherwise known as League Pass and Chill. <laughs> yeah, but he, uh, I, I'm sure he was able to break it down for everybody the, the next day. What were some of the, I mean, there were so many highlights in that game. It was kind of ridiculous. We were talking earlier about it was almost like it was like an exhibition game that happened to count. So it's rough to, it's, it's kind of hard to measure how the team is going to do on that game, especially considering that their coach just got fired now. Um, not, <laughs> not actual, uh, real tough competition at the time, but every, every team is an NBA team. They are NBA players. So, you know, we got to give them, uh, their due. Um, but it is a little bit hard to understand how the West, how the Blazers are going to fit into the West just based on that game. Yeah. I mean, it would be awesome to be able to do that. Like, yeah. I mean, how great would it be, be, be able to say that? Yeah. This Portland team is definitely the, the, the Portland team that didn't allow, an NBA franchise to score more than 21 points in a quarter. Mm -hmm. the, the high for the Suns in that game was 21 and a quarter. They did it twice. They scored 21 twice, 20 and 14. That's, that's awesome. Um, that, that, I mean, yes, the Suns are an unmitigated disaster right now in 18 different ways. They don't seem to care 
Um, we've got Eric Bledsoe putting out cryptic t tweets about whether or not he wants to be there. I don't know if that's whether he wants to be at Home Depot or if whether or not he wants to be with the Phoenix Suns. But, I mean, the timing was pretty ominous. He was probably in a really long line at Starbucks. Right? It's like, I don't want to be here. Um <laughs> But I mean, there's there's clearly a ton of issues there. But the, as an NBA team and like Portland, you have to be able to take advantage of, of those kind of wins. Those were ones that they dropped um, mm -hmm. at different times last season. So to come out and do what they did in the fashion that they did it in. Yeah, they, they're probably going to get that win anyways. But to come out and, and get a 50 plus point lead, mm -hmm. that's that's absolutely absolutely ludicrous. And I mean, you have to give credit up and down. No CJ McCollum. Dame comes out and, and puts his mark on the game. But I Pat mean, Connaughton I, steps I up big say, time. Yeah. The game ball goes to Pat. I, I don't think it can go to anybody else. Sure, Dame played spectacularly. Um Harkless played, you know, solid. Turner had a couple points. Um Nurkic was a little up and down. Um Davis was where he needed to be Napier came out in garbage time and looked really good. But I think Pat Connaughton was the guy who really got it done. He played more than anybody shot the lights out. You know, we talked about it post game. If you were going to look at Pat Connaughton's stat line and take his name off of it, nine of 14, four or seven from three, a couple rebounds, a couple assists, took care of the ball, just a stellar night scoring and efficiently. If you were going to say, okay, that's a Portland trailblazer. Who is that? Which one is it? Yeah, it's, it's CJ. I mean, it's the most CJ line you've ever seen. Nine of 14 from the field, four or seven from three, two of two from the free throw line. Yeah, no, that, that's a CJ McCollum. Like, that's a pristine CJ McCollum night, like night in, night out. So for Pat Connaughton to put on his his best CJ McCollum costume for Halloween was, was pretty baller. Um, asking him to be any kind of contributor um, after the role that he's played with Portland and his time here is probably a step up you know, in, in the, on the total pull, but to actually ask them to go all the way in and I don't know if they asked him to replicate McCollum, but to be able to do it, that's huge. Sure. Sure. You know, and when back in summer league, Connaughton had a rough summer league. We were worried about Outside him. Collins, he was the worst, right? Yeah. I mean, he just, he, the, the summer before I had enjoyed watching him at summer league because I have always felt like he has a really good command of, um, of the game and a really good kind of leadership type presence on, on the floor when he's, you know, in with guys who are looking to him for that. He, he has that floor general floor leadership. Yeah. Calm savvy, but it was not impressive, uh, this, this summer. And, but yeah. But he's really, yeah, I, I was really pleased to see that he, he felt, I mean, it felt like he'd grown up, like something had clicked with him and he'd, he wasn't playing outside of himself. He was doing exactly what was asked of him. He, he felt like he was playing the role that he was asked to play and he wasn't trying to do everything. He was just trying to do the things he was asked to do. And it's Take always nice to see that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that was the biggest criticism of Alan Crabb. And this is going to be an ongoing theme here, probably probably for the season <laughs> is who's replacing Alan Crabb and, and you know, where does, where does that production come from? Because you can't just up and replace 44% three point shooting and 10 points a game. Or can you? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Indiana and Milwaukee and then go revisit um, how Blazers are replacing those, those crab things uh, or those, those crab moments. <laughs> yeah, we, we can replace crab things too. <laughs> Indiana was a couple of nights later. The Blazers came out with a win on that one, 114 to 96 again on the road. What'd you think of that game? That again, this is another game where you're just kind of looking at it like, okay, well, I mean, they did what they needed to do. And, uh, as blase as that sounds, 
it's pretty pitching to have that happen because like they were like the first like three quarters of the season last year, the games they were supposed to take care of. You're sitting there at the end of the game, gnawing down to the, you know, the meat of your knuckles, like, come on, figure this out guys. Uh -huh. And instead, you know, they come out and they drop 31 in the first 31 in the second. And you're like, Ooh, this is fun. Uh -huh. And then you just watch Indiana's point total just kind of decline as the game goes on. And you're like, our lead's growing and they're, they're scoring less and we're playing defense. I don't know how to handle. I can't process. I mean, it was, it was just getting to that point where you're like, okay, this is fun. And then we got McCollum. McCollum comes in and gives you the CJ game, 12 of 18 from the field, three of four from three, 28 points. Dame does the floor general thing. And Evan Turner has his big moment. So yeah, I mean, you get two questions kind of out of the gate. Like how's Evan Turner going to look early on? Like we keep hearing that, okay, we're going to feature him differently. They're going to play differently. And Evan Turner plays well. And you're like, okay, sweet. Aminu has his monster game, 16 and 16. Content comes out, does Content things. Nurkic again struggles. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, but it but, was it's good to see them coming out and taking care of business because, like yeah. you said, that's what that's that's what we want them to do. We want them to come out, they want the to get the lead, keep the lead. Yeah, win. I, what I used to always say is win the ones you should and some of the ones you shouldn't, and that yeah. would get you more than you you know get you enough to get you into the playoffs. But they seem to be coming out with the attitude that they said that they were going to come out to. Granted, um, the first two games you know didn't have the toughest competition, but game three. There was some real competition there. That was a real knockdown, drag out fight, and it was fun I, I to can watch. watch. I could watch seven games of, of Portland, Milwaukee. Yeah. It was for me, it was that. Obviously, the end result sucked, but for me, the game itself was really good. Um, there were elements in that game where, yes, Milwaukee was scoring. I mean, when we're talking about tiers of opponents, the Suns and the Pacers are going to be two of the, probably the worst five teams in the league. And the, that bottom five, the the drop between the bottom five and the rest of the NBA is really far. I was really so, – I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was really kind of disheartened to see that the the heart was really ripped out of Indiana. I mean, they they just didn't look uh, – they, they, yeah, they – they didn't look like the look Indiana. Up. No, they didn't look like the no. Indiana teams that I thought would still be able to pull something together, at least at just, this just point. Just scrap every night yeah. and try I mean, to. At this point, it's early. They could still get it together, but they just look like a, a shadow of themselves. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of where they are talent-wise right now. And it's and could the game have been better with with Miles Turner in there? Certainly. I mean, Miles Turner is a guy that could, that could grow and could could be a very very good player in this league. But uh, even then, he, that team still. They're in a rough spot, but uh -huh. Milwaukee is not. Milwaukee is a team. That they came off of the night before playing against the Cavs and LeBron basically had this look on his face the entire night when he was guarding Giannis. Like this guy is going to be a problem. A and he was, and he continued to be a problem for Portland. Um, you know, you asked me before the game, you know, how do you stop Giannis? How do you stop the Greek freak? And I just kind of jokingly said, you don't. And you, you can you can try to stop him in transition. You can try and put bodies in front of him. But I, I was trying to explain this to, to my Ted the other day when he asked me how good Giannis really is. And I was like, the only I, only conclusion I could come to was he, with all the skill and everything that he has, this guy is basically the pinnacle of human evolution physically. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's seven foot tall with 
an ungodly wingspan, some of the biggest hands in the entire league, the core strength to be able to do things that you can never imagine. He can literally dribble once from 30 feet out. His stride is so long. I mean, there physically, there is nothing about him that you would change as far as how he is able to impact a basketball game. He can move laterally, side to side, front to back. Uh, he's got uh, the vertical. He's durable. He's flexible. He's explosive. I mean, everything. So preparing to stop that, even if the, when the skill on the perimeter for his game is limited, is still incredibly difficult. You saw he was times, still hitting shots. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I <was just> like, <laughs> he, even if you get in front of him, even if you get a body into him, and Evan Turner did some masterful work on him at times and made it very difficult. There were a couple possessions where Giannis tried to drive and could, it, you know, it wasn't working for him against Turner, Harkless, or Aminio. So he turned and went to the, the, the mid-high post game. And all three of those guys got into his chest. They got into his body. They made the shots difficult. They made him kick it back out. And, and then they, the Bucks just said, fine, we'll repost him. I was like, and, and, and you're, you're sitting there just like, how, how do you stop this? I mean, okay, he was 17 of 23 on the evening. Three of his six misses were from three. That means he missed three shots inside the three-point line. Hmm. Three shots out of 20 inside the three-point line. I mean, it's just when a dude is on like that, you're just not going to stop him. Um, Was he on like that? because the blazers weren't playing as good a defense or is he on like that because that is what that is how he is and that's just what the conference is going to have to what the nba is going to have to deal with i think we're looking at the the torchbearers yeah between him and Kawhi. i mean these are these are the future mvps of the league Giannis physically has the upper hand on on everyone in the league in my opinion he if he ever much like lebron if he ever figures out a jump shot, that's when he's unstoppable. Or when the, those games, when LeBron has his jumper going, those are the games where he's getting 42, 15 and 12 and doing it with, with seemingly without breaking a sweat. You're looking at the stat line, like, how do I stop this? You're taking an immediate, even more advanced physical freak. He doesn't have quite the skill set that the that James had when he came in the league, and that's that's not saying much when you're talking about arguably the greatest skill set to come in the league as a teenager. Um, so I mean, he's just going to be a nightmare. And here, here's the thing about Portland and their defense in this game. I said this on Twitter, and a few people were kind of surprised by this because I've been so hard on on Portland on their defense the last couple of years. There were. Plays where the defense broke down, certainly. That, that's going to happen with, especially with the way Giannis, his gravity, just you, everybody collapses on him to try to try to make it more difficult because they are lacking shooters on the outside. Chris Middleton's the only guy that, that's out there for long stretches that you really worry about. Obviously, Toledovich hit some big threes. Tony Snell hit some big threes. But those aren't guys that you're typically really terrified of. Um, so you're, you're going to put pressure on, on Giannis. He, he delivered against them but um portland was communicating really well they were switching without getting a step behind they were being physical and chucking the cutters they were pushing guys off where they wanted to be on their sweet spots those are things that were missing a lot of the time last year the 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 physicality from damian lillard manifested itself in, in a lot of fouls 
Um, this game itself was kind of called inconsistently. I wasn't a huge fan of that. Um, we'll, we'll talk about fouls probably a little bit later um, in this game. But um, Dame was really physical at the point of attack defensively. And I, I've harped on him for years about that. And to see that carry over um, into his game after, you know, talking about it all preseason is, is, is pretty cool. I want to make two observations about what I've seen uh, from these three games that kind of fit in a little bit to what you were just um, talking about. Watching Damian Lillard play now, it looks to me like he's found something that he really likes about defense. Like, he seems to be playing it, like, more aggressively now. Like, Mm -hmm. he's after getting – like, he is fighting through those screens, like – the in a way that I didn't see him before and he just seems to like approach defense I I can't put a finger on it except for just to say that he seems to be approaching it now in that he likes to play it it's not something that he has to play he seems to actually um embrace the challenge of it and like step up repeatedly like oh I I like the feeling that this is good I want to keep doing this that's a great observation and I think that what, what he likes about it is winning Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice too. <laughs> Seriously, no. Think about this. If if you put in the work on that end of the floor, you don't have to bust your butt on the other end every single possession. If you're winning on the other end, not every single possession on the offensive end counts. The and you know, it, isn't big. You don't have this massive load on your shoulders the entire game. Where you like, man, if I don't drop thirty eight and eight, this is gonna be rough for us. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. Um, you know, playing, playing on the defensive end, uh, take some of the pressure off, but then when he needed to, at the end of that Milwaukee game, he did step up with some offense that was really needed at the very end. So mm-hmm. like, um, that was really great to see. So that, what, that my one observation is that he just seems to have found something that he enjoys about it. And I like how you say it could be winning. That's, that, that's not where I was going with that, but I'm like, <laughs> I see how that makes sense. But the other thing that I've noticed in these three games, I noticed it in preseason two is, and I'm not joking about this and people think I'm trying to be mean or I'm making a joke, but the guys are not running into each other. No, that's, you're, you're, you're right. Because <laughs> that's because like, they're communicating. Like you were yeah, just saying the, the communication on defense Particularly in in the Milwaukee game, there Milwaukee went on that run in the second quarter to kind of pull out, and it was like, "Ooh, this doesn't mm-hmm. look good." And then the third quarter kind of started the same, and then Portland locked in for yeah. what felt like a five or six minute stretch defensively, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Nah, man, we're we're not we're not doing this." And you- the communication, I I think that was the one I put out the the, the, the tweet. Uh, when I was live tweeting that, okay, the, the communication on the switches and the anticipation and, and instead of guys m- being reactionary, they were anticipatory. Yeah. Like they, they knew, okay, this is where Middleton wants to catch the ball. Let me shade a little bit here. Giannis wants to go this way on this set. This is typically the, you know, this is the tendency. Let me help here a little bit earlier and you, you just you, you could see that growth process kind of coming together and when you when you're anticipatory and you're well versed and understood in the scouting reports and tendencies and the trust and the faith is there with your teammates i think you're gonna have less running into each other because you understand that your teammate is going to be there when x y and z occurs 
I can see that what you said about the the increasing of the trust, and that again comes from probably more time having played together. And you know, last year we talked about continuity as being somewhat of a, a false hope, but this year we're seeing continuity actually like play out like they're actually doing things that you can see like oh they're i think they're doing that better because they're more used to each other and like you said they trust that someone's going to be there in the right place at the right time so i think it's a combination of communication and then also just getting the right combinations in there i'm really interested to see how the lineups play out so maybe next week or the week after i want to i'm going to ask you some questions about the lineups and i want to take a dive into which lineups seem to be playing best together because i think that there's going to really emerge some combinations nations that play well together especially in that front court um and i'm anxious to see what those are going to be but i think it's a little too soon to probably talk about that just now yeah i mean we're going to see some things where certain lineups are going to work and look um better in certain circumstances for um particular matchups um early in the season but we're not going to have any real line of data and really a lot of the advanced analytics stuff is going to be skewed Right, pretty, until we're pretty stupidly, twenty games into it, or, or even more so than usual because of the the ridiculous magnitude of of blowouts in the first two oh. games. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, that first game against Phoenix is going to put Portland in the black for quite some time. Yeah, so hopefully they won't look at that and they'll just take every game. Um, as if, you know, they're starting from scratch. I wanted to talk about one more thing in, in, in the Milwaukee game. Um, and that is, um, we talked about it briefly, Nurkic looking like he's kind of struggling in some, mm-hmm. in, in some ways. But one of the things that I noticed in that Milwaukee game, he was getting frustrated. He was getting tired. His shots weren't going in. And, and you know, he was... And he went back to the basics. It was really nice to see. Like, you could just tell he's like, I'm just going to go back to getting rebounds. And he just I'm going to rebound and play defense. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really great to see. That was like a really mature thing that he could have just like gone off the rails and just gotten mad and gotten pouty about it. But he pulled it together. And that was that that was during that that time where Portland started to clamp down again. He stopped worrying yeah. about his shot going in. He was just like, I'm just going to get rebounds and play defense. And I, I thought that was a really positive thing. I'm probably one of the people who is uh, least lenient about <laughs> about Nurkic. But I was really uh, heartened to see that he uh, that he did that. Yeah, no, I, I, my, I'm watching the game, or I was watching that game with my dad, and uh, he's like, hey, what's going on with Nurk? I'm like, ah, he's, he's struggling a little bit to kind of find his groove this season. He's not, this isn't full-on, you know, Nurk fever yet. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, this is this is the old strain of Nurk fever. The, the flu shot's kind of taking, <laughs> taking care of this one. Um, I like that. <laughs> so my, my dad's like, well, he better figure it out. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I mean it seems like the easiest way for, for for him to kind of change this whole thing up was just tell him if he doesn't figure it out, we're going to ship him back to Denver. And I was like, Oh, that's cold blooded. man! <laughs> Don't make Dan's uh, dad mad boy. Um, well, one thing that you also have said about Nurkic is that he tends to rush yes, um, and he gets, he gets, um, and that really affects his shot. And I was thinking, how great would it be if we could take, so you know how, Nurkish tends to rush things and Myers tends to overthink things. If we just could just flip around. meet them somewhere in the middle <laughs> where Myers doesn't think so much and Nurkic thinks just a little bit more, like we could really have some pretty uh, deadly center there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get off on it too much because I'm probably going to end up writing about it. But Nurkic is doing everything he needs to do um, when he's catching in the post. Like he's, he's doing... Not- 
putting it in the bucket. Well, when he, he gets to his spots, he beats his man and then he rushes the shot or he goes off balance and leans and falls. And when he doesn't, it's like, just go straight up. You're, you, there's like three guys in the NBA that can, that can alter or block your shot, dude. One of them obviously is Giannis as we saw uh, the other night. Um, but I mean, that's, that's the nature of the beast, but like he's do, like the footwork to get to his spots. You're just, I'm sitting there watching going, God, that's beautiful. Oh, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, like everything looks good. And, and you get to the end product and you're like, how did you manage to get that shot out of that post move? Like everything was gorgeous until then. And I hope he figures that out because if he does, then Portland is going to be a complete nightmare. Cause you saw what Portland was trying to do early on in the game, which was established Nurkic down low to open up the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he can't be the, not just consistent, but kind of an overbearing threat, down there then teams that have the versatility and length to really disrupt like the bucks Mm -hmm. um can prove to be incredibly difficult matchups for portland going forward yeah it's really those long arms that disturb him the most i think it just seems you know length in general i mean yeah and the bucks have more length than anybody not not just (laughs) this is gonna sound weird but not just regular length but like elite (laughs) level extra length It, it really is it's 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 just it's a metric crap ton of length. And you're just yeah. like, they, Oh, Hey, seven footer. Oh, Hey, seven footer. There's oh, a hey, lot of footer. arms and legs on that team. Like, I mean, even their point guards are coming over to help and they're six, five and six, six. So you're just like, I don't know how to handle this. So that game itself is, can be looked at possibly as a nominally, but I'm, I'm hoping that kind of gets sorted out as we progress. I think that's a, I think that's going to be a really good game for them to keep going back to and seeing to be able to see some things that went right and some things that went wrong that can be, can be fixed before we move on. Should we talk about the, uh, the final, the, the end of the game there and the last two minute report that came out. Okay. People who know me know that I'm not one to blame the refs for anything. And I'm still not blaming the refs um for this um but the last the the play with Giannis and CJ was a foul uh, unabashedly unequivocally it was a foul in your opinion Dan yes. it was a foul um, what did the you, uh, NBA referees have to say the, about the it? The last two minute reports, they they don't deny contact, but they said that it did not alter the SQBR, which is speed, quickness, balance, something else. Um, I don't know. But I, the way I looked at it is if you're having to alter your dribble or alter your body position because you're being grabbed, pulled and held, um, especially when you're above the three point line handling the ball, um, th- that's that's a foul. Now. Am I totally surprised that they didn't make the call uh, in that position and that portion of the game? No. Am I blaming that one particular play for the game? No. Um, Giannis made uh, a great steal prior to that when Damian Lillard got trapped in the baseline when he picked his dribble up. Uh, Giannis made an unbelievable block on Nurkic on the roll of the rim. So, I mean, there, there were plays to be made everywhere for Giannis. And Portland had ample opportunity to, to kind of to make something happen in that game. But... Um, it'll be interesting to see if that's how games are officiated down the stretch of this season, um, because there were more hands and grabs and pulls and yanks um, on CJ there without a pick and roll um, to kind of hide it than I've seen in quite some time. Uh, so if that's going to be the baseline, that's going to be weird to see. I really wish they would explain it a little bit further because honestly, when I watch when, okay, so there's the, there's the picture that CJ tweeted out of him being surrounded by Giannis's gigantic arms. And 
in my opinion, I couldn't I, I couldn't tell how much was incidental and how much was like actually grabbing, you know? And but it definitely looked like he was, you know, getting a nice giant hug from Giannis. When I watched the short replay, it was a very short clip and it wasn't slowed down or anything. He just had to, you know, figure it out. When I watched the short clip, I wasn't so sure that there was contact that slowed CJ down. CJ still had room to maneuver. And I don't know the the rules well enough, but I do know that one part that's usually important when it comes down to determining a foul is whether or not CJ had room to maneuver. And he did have room to maneuver in front of himself. So... I would just like a little bit more explanation from them, but I, 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 I kind of trust if, if the, you know, it went to Secaucus and they all sat there and they all reviewed it. They're the ones that had the rule book in front of them. I, I believe them. I, I mean, I, I will go with, I would understand their ruling. I wish they would just explain a little bit more so that if it happens again, we can understand like what it was about that, that they were like, Oh yeah, no, that's not a foul. Yeah. I'm not like uh, anybody who's, who's followed me for any period of time knows I, I am not a fan of the, the top flight quote unquote officials in the NBA and how they've handled things in the past, particularly those that, are, you know, that are um, like Scott Foster and Zach Zarba. Zach Do you Zarba think that if you chief. had NBA ref training, you would be better uh, with time? Yeah. I just, I think it's gotta be such an incredibly it, it hard job. I mean, I, I've, I've refed high school and even some college basketball when I was younger. Um, so, and it's, it's an incredibly difficult game to master, but it, it is, I don't care how cocky or arrogant it sounds to be able to, um, effectively manage a game better than Zach Zarbike. I can think of well, like 7 billion people on this planet that could do better. <laughs> well, you, you have their names on the tips of your tongue. That's, that's, yeah. that's really, yeah. You've spent some time with no, no, the rest of you've got yeah, their no, names. When memorized. I saw Zarba was repping the game, I, I was immediately disappointed. I, uh, I picture you like Aria and, um, uh, in Game of Thrones, just like naming off all the refs yes. every night as you go to bed. Is that what it's like? <laughs> there there are some refs that are like, like Ron Garrison. I think he's the, the best official in the league right now. Um, so like not to get off on a tangent about refs, but yeah, there are some that are incredibly bad, like the Zach Zarbas and Scott Foster's of the world. And there are some that I think that are very, very good. And the dividing line between them and how they officiate a game can impact the, the flow um, and even the winner in the game, not that they're betting, but I'm talking about how they call a game can sufficiently impact the game to swing it one way or another. <laughs> That's why they have different betting lines, depending on who's refing a game. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go look at the, I don't know if you've ever seen like the, I'm sure you have like the whole video, uh, library that the NBA refs have yeah. where they explain all these things. I want to go re read more about this one so I can understand it better, but we let's move on to talk about what we have learned so far about this team over the course of these three games with, of course, all of the, the usual caveats about how it's only a three game sample, blah, 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 blah. We still want to take a look at it as the whole. Exactly. We have yeah. some data. Um, so let's talk about, let's start off with, uh, pick and rolls. One of the things that we've talked about is the need for the Blazers to do a better job defending the pick and roll. So how has that played out so far this year? Well, opponents have kind of doubled down on it and decided, Hey, you still have Damien and CJ. So we're going to run more pick and rolls. So, um, nearly a quarter of the plays they've defended this year have been of the pick and roll variety. Um, statistically they're slightly better 
They went from 0.91 points allowed per possession last year, which was dead last in the NBA, to 0.87. And when we're talking about this small sample size, it's pretty much a push. But something that that is noticeable is that they're forcing more turnovers, but they're also fouling more. And what that tells me is that they're being more aggressive at the point of attack. Uh, Damian Lillard is getting is he's been picking up fouls because he's being aggressive. Um, I like that. I think if you're if with time, if he begins to build a reputation of being an aggressive defender, and I don't think it's too late in his career to make that happen, he will begin to get the benefit of the doubt, which is what I think Giannis got the other night. When you when you build a reputation of being aggressive, um, look at Tony Allen, look at Patrick Beverly. Neither one of those guys can defend without grabbing and, and pulling and yanking and hand-checking you for 30 feet. Um, they're not the great defenders they are because they're just some – other class of defender they're a good defender who is allowed to get away with a whole lot more than everybody else and that's a reputation that they've built same with chris paul uh i think the only guy that really does it just by moving his feet and being anticipatory being better than everybody else is somebody like avery bradley among the guards um but otherwise it's it's, it's being aggressive being physical and using the tricks of the trade the the veteran savvy moves when to grab and how to not get caught um i think dame needs to get better in that aspect. And this is part of that and being more physical at the point of attack. Is Milwaukee a heavy pick and roll team? Not particularly, but they can be in, it depends because synergy doesn't have a dribble handoff. Okay. Um, breakdown. They have handoff, but they don't have the handoff metric itself. I think gets confused sometimes with pick and roll because more and more teams are running dribble handoff. I mean, there's teams like Charlotte that basically run it as the, the, the basis for their offense. Okay. And it's not really tracked perfectly because sometimes uh. a pick and roll can turn into a dribble handoff. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Oh my God. That's so interesting. I'd never thought about that. So it depends on who it is. that's scoring it. Milwaukee runs a ton of dribble handoff to get okay. Giannis in a position to find his mismatch. Like if you noticed in the game with Milwaukee, anytime the Blazers wanted to try to get Aminu on him, the Bucks are trying to find, okay, Aminu's the longer, better defender. Can mm-hmm. we get a better matchup? So can we get on Harkless? Can we get on Turner? Can we get on Dame? Can we get on CJ? Can we find somebody? And, and like I said, the guys like, like Turner and Harkless – and, and Aminu, you know, they they did they did good things on Aminu. Aminu just hit shots. I mean, I mean, uh, Giannis, Giannis just hit shots. I get Giannis and Aminu con- confused all the time too. <laughs> I wish that was easy the mistake. <laughs> the, the Aminu onto the Kumpo change is kind of a different one. Um, but I mean, those guys did what they needed to do. It's just Giannis just got it done. Okay. Um, so the Blazers. They they've done better in pick and roll coverage in the sense that they're not giving up on plays. And like as we talked about, kind of coming into the season, and I'll keep coming back to the average margin of victory in a game is five points. So if you're making up those points possession by possession throughout a game, by hey, you know what? I got beat on eight out of ten pick and rolls, but on two of them I created turnovers. Mm-hmm as opposed to nine out of 10, that, that one extra turnover that you got turns into into points that turns into two points. If somebody else on the team gets one, 
then boom. And I, obviously that's an extreme example, but that, that's the kind of point that I'm trying to make here. Right. Every every little bit counts, and that's what we're talking about with Damian Lillard, enjoying something within defense, and that's why I think winning has become his motivation because he understands that that one possession can mean so much more in the, the a second or third quarter possession could it be end up being the game in the fourth quarter. Nice. And then not having to come down to a call that people argue about. If you can take care of it before then. So, you know, so I test, we've, uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, defending the pick and roll. And it looks like so far, at least with preliminary limited data, there has been um, an improvement. Improvement. All right. I'm putting a big, big check mark yay gold stars okay so the next thing that we talked about is we talked about a pace and the blazers getting shots off sooner is does this seem to be happening during the regular season yep that's happening okay all of, can all you the, elaborate all of the data is pointed at excuse me while i crack up my rock star there oh boy um, okay time is ticking woo. we got to get through this before the caffeine fully hits um so portland is playing faster slightly um faster than they were last year yes okay so we're talking like like they think like two more possessions a game um is what it adjusts out to but the blazers are getting up two more shots which is where that comes from okay um as well as almost four more free throws a game oh so they're being more aggressive in where they're getting those shots from so if you look at this if you look at the stats in general Obviously, that they're 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 the advanced stats for O rating and D rating are skewed slightly. The pace is not. The rebound percentage is not. The rebound percentage is real. They're up ten percent from where they were last year. Last year they rebounded less than fifty percent of of total rebounds. This year they're at almost sixty percent. Oh my gosh! Like, Wait, we gotta take a, a a pause for a, a second. A, a detour to Ed Davis. Yes. That's, <laughs> How did you know? (laughs) Detour is a huge, or an Ed Davis detour is a huge part of this. Ed Ed and Aminu have been phenomenal on the backboards. Those two are like, I mean, I don't have favorites, but I love those two so much. And when they are clicking and playing the type of defense and doing the aggressive going for the boards that they've been doing, it is just, I mean, there's so many wonderful things about having Ed Davis back this year, like full on healthy Ed Davis, full on healthy, like, you know, muscly Ed Davis. Because remember two years ago, Ed Davis was like 20 pounds thinner and looked 20 pounds thinner. He came back last year, was all pumped up, but then he was injured. And so now we have fully healthy and mega Ed Davis. Mm -hmm. And I am absolutely loving it he's rolling he's picking and rolling like and going. he's finishing with his right hand that's that's the crazy thing he's like, going right up with finishes. both hands you know there's uh, nothing i love more than a two-handed rebound or like a two-handed dunk and he's yeah it's it's it, a it, thing it of beauty connoisseur um aminu has had the two very good games and then defensively he was good on Giannis. um offensively he had a rough night going one of seven from the floor uh-huh. um the, his his game kind of reared its ugly head as far as or not just his game but i think something that's going to kind of poke up from time to time for portland because they lost crab um and Connaughton's not ultimately familiar with that position that he was in um 
both those guys had a rough night. They combined to shoot two for 11. Yeah, and Aminu is streaky, and he has been yeah. streaky for a long time. Um, and if Connaughton or any of the other cursory guys isn't on, um, then that's going to be a... It's, it's going to be very, very difficult uh, that's for that many the more, rest of the guys. Yeah, Dame and CJ have to hit. Exactly. So that that's that's kind of the caveat to all of this, is that Dame CJ are, are balling out. Um, Connaughton is definitely showing promise. Um, Nurkic, while struggling, is still managing ways to impact the game. Harkless, Aminu, and Turner are, have all impacted games uh, hugely so far, um, mostly positive across the board. But there's still these little flickers here and there where you're like, nah, it's nothing to be worried about, but that's something we should probably watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Aminu's offensive game is probably always going to be somewhat of a hold your breath and, and see what we get. Uh, you know, Ed Davis is always going to be good, real close to the basket. It's going to be harder to get him to do anything outside the paint. Um, and Mo, I think we, I don't think we've seen all of what Mo has to offer yet. He's, he's so quiet, like, and not in a bad way, but sometimes you kind of forget he's there. And sometimes you kind of wish he was a little bit flashier just to draw a little bit more attention. So, um, well, actually, let's move on to the next question because it kind of involves these guys. We talked about who's going to get Alan Crabb's shots attempts. Are any of those Maminu, Harkless, um, no, Connaughton, no. Who's taking yes. Alan Crabb's shots? <laughs> Pat Connaughton is Alan Crabb light. <laughs> so he's just I mean, been, has he just been like moved in there or are yeah, people sharing? He, he, he looks like he's, he's nesting in quite nicely. Um, so far, he, Connaughton's come out on the season and putting up and the, the numbers are skewed because of the 24 point night. So this is partially tongue in cheek and partially serious. Um, right now, Connaughton's, Averaging 11.7 points a game, where Crab averaged 10.7 points a game. Huh. Um, so, yeah, and Connaughton's shooting almost 60% from the floor. He's shooting over 50% from three on four attempts a game. Dang. Uh, so, yeah, if. And then here, here's the What's thing that about like if you take out Indiana or if you take out Phoenix? Do you have that handy? No, but I can, I can do the rough math. I mean, he's one of three for three points against. Um, Milwaukee beyond that uh mm -hmm. how did he do against Indiana I'm trying to remember off the top of my head this is the the, the brilliance of this is exciting podcasting yes. Let's see Portland versus Indiana the fact that I have all of these right here is also kind of slightly disturbing let's see he was three of four two of four from three so like so, so he's He's still hitting shots. Mm -hmm. like he, and this was, again, well, not, to, not to go back and beat on the Milwaukee one too much. He wasn't taking shots because I don't think he was used to being in that position. There were a few times where he was on the floor later in the game, early in the fourth quarter, I believe, or it might have been late in the third quarter, where he got a couple looks um, and didn't trust mm. himself to take the shot. Or I think against in the Indiana and the Phoenix game, the the pressure wasn't fully on and I'm not necessarily mad or frustrated about that, but I hope that goes away because obviously that was the, the criticism of crap. Right. But if he can get beyond that, the thing about Connaughton is this is a guy that shot 40% from three in college. And yes, there's a, there's a different line in college, but there, there was an article when I think he might've been a senior or may have been a draft day article about Connaughton, about where he shot his threes from. He wasn't a guy that towed the line, the three point line in college. Like he shot basically from NBA range threes. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Like he, he just kind of shot deeper. He backed anyways. out a little, huh? 
Yeah, I mean, just to kind of, I mean, you you have to show that you can hit it, and he's he can shoot. I remember when Crab first got to Portland and he wasn't hitting shots. Like the the one thing that I kept trying to tell everybody was, okay, regardless of everything else, the dude can shoot. Mm -hmm. It'll 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 come through. Trust me, shooters shoot. I mean, Luke Babbitt in Portland struggled, but he's found a role in the NBA as a shooter. I mean, the guys that can shoot just they it may take them a while to get down timing or the the speed of the NBA or whatever, but they ultimately they figure it out. So Connaughton has figured it out. He can shoot. It, I think it was a confidence thing, it was a familiarity thing. It was knowing your role. I mean, this is a guy that was with the closers last year. Yeah. So to for him to come out and, and embrace this role and look comfortable doing it for a twentieth of the cost mm-hmm. of Alan Crabb, that's huge. Like, I mean, if, if he comes out and, and is able to replicate that role, if, if Pat Connaughton is averaging 10 points a game and shooting 40% from three, and those are his accomplishments in the season, that, that is, is a big. win. Yeah. That is a massive, massive win for Portland. That would be amazing. So beyond that, there are other guys that are chipping in, not necessarily from three, but from different spots on the floor. So there's guys that are taking more shots at the rim. Amino is actually taking, uh, I think, almost two or three shots more uh, at the rim. Um, CJ is getting into the paint more, taking more mid-rangers, which is not surprising. Um, CJ just is beautiful to watch. (laughs) Oh, when he got in that that third quarter groove and just went ham. It's just incredible what he can do. It's like, um, there's no, somebody asked, uh, I think it was Mike Prada. Yeah, it was Mike Prada of SB Nation, um, had a poll on Twitter, like who's more fun to watch when they just get on one Dame or CJ. And my response was, okay, there's, there's two different answers to this. They're, but they're both. Yes. It's, it's like, it's what you prefer. Like, like Dame is a complete flamethrower with the audacity to take a shot from anywhere at any time. CJ is this maestro who's just directing flow of traffic with the ball. Like he, the way he just balances it on a string wherever and takes guys wherever he wants to take them and then gets around. And it's just, it's kind of like this poetry in motion where he just kind of guides everything. Like he wants to like, like the conductor and it's just what it depends on which one you prefer. Really? I, I see CJ as more of a hunter and Dame as a sharpshooter. Like, for CJ, like I think half the pleasure is the fight, is the hunt for the <laughs> getting the right, getting into the yeah. right place, getting the right yep. person lined up, and he's thinking about the whole, like all of that is going through his mind as he's setting the whole thing up. Dame, all I can think of is the Raptors in Jurassic Park that pop out of the bushes. <laughs> Clever girl. <laughs> that's all I can think. Like that's that's CJ just kind of pops out like gotcha. <laughs> yeah, Dame's just like a, 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 a sharpshooter from distance where he just like, oh, now here's my opportunity. Boom, done. Like sniper, like just absolutely accurate, just deadly. And I think part of it is not just how deadly he is, but like the audacity to which he does things. Like it's not arrogance or bravado. It's just like he, did he, he didn't actually just do that, right? <laughs> like you can you can see that look kind of manifest itself on on opponents' faces sometimes. It's it's pretty fun to watch. But yeah, getting back to like who's taking these shots and where they're taking them, it is a community effort as far as the total shots. Nurk has seen a big uptick in his mid range, going from you know one and a half a game to three and a half games. So two more shots in the mid range is quite substantial. And his uh, three point shot per game. 
Yes, he, he's he's getting them up more frequently. However, an area that is definitely changed is where Portland is getting their threes from. Okay. They are not taking corner threes. Oh, they're not? Well, Aminu is, isn't he? Even then, he's the only one on the team averaging more than 0.5 corner threes a game. Moe's not going for corner threes. Nope. Well, you know, as a, I think Moe was actually better on the break and Myers was better in the corner. I can't remember now. No, Myers, Myers is the opposite. Extreme, yeah. Myers, for some reason, is a complete drain wreck in the corners. Yeah, it's Mo He's who's usually one, good in the corners. One of the best angles three-point shooters in the league there for a while. Like he, There was a spot that was glowing red and the corners were ice blue. Mm-hmm. It was really weird. It was actually something I started, it, strangely enough, was on Twitter, was left corner three tweet. The Blazers from the left corner last year were just disgusting. Um, particularly Aminu, like in that left corner, he just lights that corner up. So disgustingly yeah. good is what you yes. mean. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's just, that's, that's his like NBA 2K. That is his hot spot. Mm-hmm. That, like the rest of the floor ain't pretty, but that left corner is glorious. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he's yeah, right no, now the only one taking him. Yeah. He's the only one. I think maybe Turner might be up there. And I think it's skewed because I think he's taken like three threes or four threes uh-huh. and three of the four have been in okay. the right corner. Um, so that'll be something to watch and see if that's something that they've changed that their offense for well, or they just don't have a guy that's that's capable of doing it. And that's, again, like one of those things that might rear its ugly head um, unless Connaughton becomes the guy that starts floating to the corner. Um, that may be something that they need to kind of take advantage of um, or adjust for uh, Dame himself is he's, he's shooting less threes. He's driving to the rim more and getting free throws mm-hmm. by the, the truckload. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's quite a few changes in Portland's offense and where it's coming from. Um, they're not huge, but they do exist. And there's, there's a fair amount of them. Well, we've got a couple of games coming up that probably really are going to tell us a lot more about this team. Yes. Um, New Orleans coming up on Tuesday, opening night. I can't wait. I'm so excited to be in the arena again for an uh, for an actual game. That's two games where Portland's probably going to struggle uh, in the paint. Obviously, Milwaukee, they, they couldn't score in the paint to save their lives. Uh, AD and, and Boogie aren't going to make that any easier. So okay. that'll that'll be interesting to see how they react. And the Clippers uh, too. Yeah, the Clippers. Obviously, you've got DeAndre Jordan, who is a guy that's playing really well right now. Yeah. Um, Blake Griffin is is this point forward Blake Griffin, and then they've got Montrezl Harrell, who likes to muck things up in the middle as well. So, um, yeah, the the competition. The Clippers are two and zero. So the, they're sitting atop the Western Conference, as they say, <laughs> uh, which is is really strange to see. Well, and the Grizzlies um, are up there with them, so. <laughs> yeah, in the, in the upside down world, the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies and the, and the Clippers are the top three in the NBA and the, and the Warriors are one and two. Oh, my God. That Warriors. Oh, dang. I said their name. Shoot. The you, team. You did. <laughs> Duh, yeah, team I owe play. somebody five bucks. Uh, the the end of that game and watching Steph and Kevin Durant, yeah. it was, you know, I, I don't I don't actually wish the them ill. But man, it was nice to watch like Mr. What's, Perfect's. What's more lose petty it. or ridiculous? Kevin Durant pointing to his ring finger like he says he did and oh. saying, I have a ring or <laughs> flipping off a fan. Like, what, like which one would be more petty? Like I have a ring. Huh? I went to the 73 win Warriors. I just or, can't believe they lost it like that. 
I can. I, I just, mean, I, I would too. You know, when, when you have a sense of entitlement, that's, that's that hard and heavy. It's going to ring true when you get your belt just smacked in and the Grizzlies over the last couple of years, they have the best record against the Warriors. They just, they physically just beat them up. And that's kind of how it's been for a couple of years. That, that, that's, that's their Achilles heel. It's kind of like how Portland's was or had been with the Grizzlies there for a while where they just struggled with Memphis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, so the Pelicans are going to come in off of a win with the, against the Lakers. So they'll be free and flying high, fly, flying low. Like, I, I don't, whatever I don't. Pelicans do. Do well, they I mean, fly? They, they glide. But I mean, how, how high up can you get after beating the Lakers? <laughs> right. Well, we ought to, we ought to wrap it up because, um, we, uh, yeah, we, we should wrap it up tonight. We got, we're going to have plenty to talk about next week. Um, I had predicted our first game, 10 games, we were going to go seven and three, which I know is optimistic, but um, I'm still hoping that we can pull that out. You said six and four. So both of them are definitely still in play next week. We'll have a much better idea um, if mine is actually going to happen. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the next few games, I mean, you've got Pelicans, Clippers, Suns, Raptors, Jazz, um and then Lakers. Yeah. So I think you could probably toss out the Lakers and Jazz games as no doubt winners mm-hmm. with the way those those teams are. The Jazz have looked every bit as defensive um as you would expect them to be. The Raptors have looked pretty decent. The Clippers have been better than anticipated and the Pelicans are competing. So Ugh. every every one of those games is looking like it's going to be a tough contest. And then, then it gets into a, a little pitch where it gets a little bit more difficult for a while. And uh, it kind of goes up and down before we yeah, get into I thought the, we were the, supposed the to push. have it. I thought they were supposed to have an easy. Um... <laughs> I, I think they were anticipating teams like the, the jazz and the Grizzlies and the Clippers kind of falling off a little bit and, and they're playing really well. Hell, even a team like Brooklyn has looked like they're going to be a tough out just because they score so many points. Um, it's going to be a really interesting season. I think that the, the, the teams that are going to be crappy are going to be really, really, really bad. And then there's going to be that upper cross top five, top six, and then everybody else can really beat each other on a given night, which is going to make this season fun. Yeah. There's tons of basketball to play. I don't want to go without, um, acknowledging how, what a bummer it is that we've already had some really huge, major catastrophic injuries, just heart, absolutely heartbreaking. So I just want to put in a little thank you to all of the players who put their bodies on the line to entertain (laughs) every, all of us like this. I mean, it's amazing, like what they go through and the risks that they take um to play this game and it's just it it's shocking and scary and just how quickly everything can change for them so i hope that you know gordon hayward and jeremy lynn and isn't teo dosich possibly injured or is he, he, this- no, he's, he's injured he's got a uh left uh fascia bone oh. fracture which is one of those ones that's a nightmare to heal it's just so it's just that. so sad and they work so hard and we're Chris just Paul so could be out for a couple months um we got Kawhi leonard limping up and down the stairs i mean we got all kinds of stuff like can we just turn injuries off just i turn, wish tur- turn the sliders to zero i wish we could because it's just it's just it's just a sad thing but anyway i didn't want to uh, for us to go through the whole time without acknowledge acknowledging just how much 
<laughs> how how hard they work, how much joy we get from watching it. And like, if they weren't working that hard, we would never have anything to talk to like we are right now. So true story. We, we are lucky. So um, everybody, you can find the Blazers Edge podcast on the Almighty Baller Network. You can also go to blazersedge.com. You can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. And Dan, tell them where they can find you. Take us yes. out of here. You can find me on Twitter as well at DMarang. That's at D-M-A-R-A-N-G. Make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the Blazers Edge podcast on iTunes. You can find the link on my Twitter page. You can find it on the Blazers Edge page. You can find it on the Almighty Butler page. So like, subscribe, comment, review, do all that stuff so we can go ahead and continue making more and more Blazers Edge content. For Tara, I'm Dan Morang. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back next week and probably have a few more guests as the season progress uh, progresses, and uh, we'll, we'll see whose prediction holds more true for for the first 10 games for tara i'm dan thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next week all right well i learned some stuff hopefully it all recorded